0: What would life look like if our good intentions were inspired enough, empowered enough, and challenged enough so that all those dreams became real, tangible, good in the world? On Practice Good Podcast, you will find authentic stories, challenging conversations, and real responses that will inspire, empower, and challenge your social impact journey. But... This isn't all. Good business and good programs and good social enterprise are only as good as the health of their leader. And on this podcast, we will pay special attention, not only to the good that we give to the world, but to the good that we live within ourselves, our soul care. Welcome to Practice Good, a podcast for changemakers. I'm your host, Shiloh Kashima, practitioner of good, pastor, and mom of two spicy Nigerian littles. Get ready as we turn your good intentions into positive change. All right. Welcome to Practice Good Podcast. This is Shiloh again, and I am so excited to tell you guys and introduce you guys to my friend, Taylor O'Hearn. We go back, oh my gosh, how many years has it been now? Even before, before I was married, not before she was married, before I was married. So it's probably been like man, almost 10 years maybe Probably. nine years and uh, we were working at a church together and um, she was kind of young married and having her fresh babies and all these things and then um, and then we kind of split ways and she went up to um, Indiana and I went down to Florida to get married and we kind of tried out these different ways of life and now she's a therapist and so I'm so excited to introduce her today and Taylor, why don't you just take a moment and tell us a little bit about your professional background and what you're doing now with therapy and things like that.
1: Yeah. Thank you, Shiloh. Um, So yeah, I worked at a church in Nashville with Shiloh, and then we moved to Indiana to be close to family, and I ended up going back to school to get my master's degree. Um, And I studied at Christian Theological Seminary. I got my master's in clinical mental health counseling. And now that I am on the other side of that, I have started seeing clients as a therapy therapy resident. So I am postgraduate, pre-licensure. So I see clients um, during COVID time from the comfort of my home doing telehealth. I am specializing in uh, perinatal mental health and everything to do with moms and babies and people who would like to be moms. Um, And then I also am focusing on people who are experiencing spiritual transition or some sort of sort of upheaval in their um, faith experiences that they need to process through. And I also do EMDR. So I do a lot of work with Mm. clients that are experiencing trauma or have trauma in their history.
0: Oh, that's cool. I've heard a lot about EMDR. I'm very interested in it. So what led you to this like transition? I know you were working in Christian church ministry and then you went into the mental health field What kind of led you to this decision and kind of life change?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, So when I was working in ministry, I feel like the moments where I actually had humans in my office for a conversation were the moments that I loved, or I was writing a note or um, doing a training, like actually being face-to-face with people, especially if it was one-on-one or in a smaller group um, versus the kind of event planning piece and the the logistics was not my cup of tea. And so I learned pretty quickly that the one-on-one is where I really thrived. And I, I did get involved in some ministry programs that were more mental health focused towards the end of my time there that really, I guess, was the final push for me to go, okay, this is what I really love. I keep coming back to it over and over. Um, And then things just sort of opened up for us after we moved and it became a possibility and went back to school.
0: That is so awesome. So this podcast, Practice Good, is all about social change makers, really. And people who are you know advocating for a better world, who want to see a better country, who want to see humanity act in ways that um, you know just just really acknowledge people's equality and solidarity. So it's a lot of people who are using business and nonprofits and maybe even teaching or even something like poetry or mental health, whatever it may be, but they're advocating for change. They live in this space of the tomorrow, right? And I know right now with the culture the way it is and things being so divisive, for me, at least it feels and it felt very exhausting. And I'm just curious for you in the mental health field, like, are there any kind of thoughts you have about people who are striving for change and maybe feeling that kind of exhaustion or hurt or frustration or division that might be kind of a little discouraging? Mm.
1: Yeah, there's, there's a lot there. I mean, I think that with COVID <laughs> yeah. um, and with what's going on, and, and I don't want to even say that they're not related because I think, that, I think that the experience of powerlessness that so much of the world is having with COVID mm. is then just putting a spotlight on powerlessness that people have been experiencing oh, otherwise. Okay. And so I think it's a lot of things kind of coalescing and coming together, but there is some exhaustion that comes with powerlessness and with the uncertainty of how long is this going to last. So I think there can be the mentality of like, I can do anything for a month, or I can do anything for 90 days or whatever. But having this um, unending timeline where we really don't have a good clear picture, I think that that piece of it makes it really exhausting, even for people who are used to being givers, used to having to kind of fill their own cup so that they can go and do things in the world or, or be present for others. So I think it's just an extremely hard time no matter how you slice it. Yeah.
0: Man, I, the connection you brought between just being powerless and, um, this idea of exhaustion is really something that I'm like, I just I want to spend some time in that. That's a crazy thought that we're talking about. I mean, a a majority of the conversation in our nation right now is about the marginalized. It's about power versus the powerless, and those who are um, holding power versus uh, you know those who are you know struggling to even find a seat at the table. And then you've got the entire country being told you don't have power right now, even over your own schedules. And then you've got some people who aren't listening to that at all. They're like screw you. I'm going to do what I want. And you've got others who are going, no, this is people's lives on the line. Like I'm going to take this seriously. Wow. That's a really interesting concept. I'm curious. um, Have you, have you, you talk about doing telehealth right now. I mean, clearly you're not meeting with people in person, but like, have you talked to people that are struggling through this idea of like being powerless during this season? And like, like what would you, recommend or like pragmatic ideas for people who are struggling with this idea of like I'm no longer in control of my life anymore. And that's a really scary concept. Like what can we do about that?
1: Hmm. Man, I really wish there was an easy answer to that question. I I feel like, so what's ironic in my experience has been that the, the anxiety or the feelings that come along with COVID have very rarely expressed themselves in the therapy context specifically as COVID. And so it's just that if there was anxiety, it's ramped up. If there Mm -hmm. was depression, like whatever the, whatever the feeling that's coming along with this powerlessness that's ramped up. And so Mm -hmm. it is funny that, you know, we're in this very different world, but the conversations I'm having have very little to do with COVID or quarantine or any of those things but they're very much related like they're mm-hmm. very um very closely tied and i would i would say as much as it stinks and i don't like giving this answer a big part of it is kind of befriending that feeling and mm. and i think for me this is a new feeling like this kind of powerlessness is a new feeling um and majorly causing me to check my own privilege and i feel like there are people who have been living and thriving in a form of powerlessness for a long time. And Mm -hmm. so being able to read and listen and experience from people who have maybe more resiliency than I have, or people who've really um, learned how to befriend the powerlessness because it's not been an option, right? Yeah that I think has been one of the biggest sources for me as a person. Um, Yeah.
0: That's so good. I am in my doctoral program right now and I'm studying this idea of social, I'm sorry, not social, (laughs) soul care for like, for change makers. And this idea of being sustainable as leaders in the long run and how do we take care of ourselves in that way and one of the concepts that I'm exploring right now is this idea of learning from the oppressed because Mm -hmm. there is a resiliency there there is a living in the midst of that oppression for so many years and learning how to um you know, learning how to get through, learning how to still fight when you can't, learning how to get up every morning and still brush your teeth. And I think, you know, for me and my white privilege, so much of this stuff is new, right? And then I'm getting exhausted eight months in. And I remember even when in 2016 when we had a change of um, presidency, my husband kind of giggled a little bit, and he goes, "You Americans, you think you're so invisible? Like this stuff goes on all around the world." And we're sitting here like the whole world is falling apart, right? And in some ways it is, it's our world. But at the same time, I think there's so much power in those who are quote unquote free or less oppressed or holding power or in that privilege, learning from the leadership of those who have suffered from that powerlessness or from that marginalization and being able to submit ourselves to their wisdom and how even culturally there's so many cultures i was looking in um even south africa there's some really cool cultural like conversations around like truly seeing people there's this concept of salbono which is like you're looking into someone's eyes and fully seeing them and how it's part of the healing process for people and i'm like what the heck? Like, (laughs) we need to learn from people. So I think what you're saying is like so powerful and it's really inspiring in so many ways because as advocates, as change leaders, oftentimes, you know, the first sign of resistance and we get discouraged or we get overwhelmed, we fight for a while and then we start, feeling like, oh my gosh. And other people are looking at us like, are you kidding me? I've been fighting this battle every single day of my life and I still get up and brush my teeth. I still go to school. I still go to work. I still do all these things like join the party, you know? Yeah.
1: Yeah, I think it's, um, its systems right so i have not experienced coming up against systems like this mm. before i've come up against people you know i've had experiences working in a church as a as a female there was yeah. certainly you know an amount and some of that was systemic but i think to a certain degree is also individual versus now i'm feeling the weight of all these systems that i can't control yeah and i think being in my my graduate school program where diversity and the diversity of voices, not just the ones in the classroom with you, but the books you were reading and the the lectures that you were hearing, um, it was intentional. Like it was Mm -hmm. intentionally very diverse and I've never experienced that before. And so I think that that was a big gift to me to get to have that experience and to um, even just learn some teachers that now I can reference, right? Like, because a lot of it is just an introduction, but being able to go back to some of those voices, because I think what you're saying about like getting up and brushing your teeth, I mean, that's a vital part of it, but something I've noticed working with clients that maybe like would be in these marginalized groups or have experienced depression. And, you know, almost everyone that I work with has experienced trauma in some way. So they're suffering there. But I think what distinguishes some people, some experiences is that there's still this capacity for wonder. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's what I'm really interested in. How can we, how can we get to a place of wonder? Because I think wonder is one of the most um, sustaining forces that we can find. Like, I think that wonder is something that can really fill us back up. Yeah. Uh, More than more than a lot of other things.
0: That's so good. I mean, because if I look back at my life, those moments where I really just felt even in tune with God and the creator and his creation was the moments when I was in solitude on the beach, no music, no headphones, no books to read, just sitting in wonder about how on earth a sky could be this big, how on earth a wave could crash that loud, you know, how a bird could sing like that, you know, and being able to sit in that almost connects you to this deeper level of healing that things are going to, you know, like, I don't know that I was going to say that things are going to be okay, but not necessarily that things are going to be okay, but that the lack of control actually has a control, maybe not mine, but mm-hmm. it's there somewhere, You know and i think as advocates and change makers like that's really powerful to kind of rest in because especially right now it's easy to go everything's out of control and i have no impact and my next move like legit i'm done moving to an island and eating coconuts for the rest of my life it's me my family and myself you know but to sustain ourselves in the long run we have to be able to really consider what are these ideas that these practical things we can put into place that would help us continue to lead this good into the world in the long run because you can lead all this good into the world but if you don't sustain the leader that runs it the good isn't going to make it you know and so You know, and I think that's something I would love your opinion on as well. Is as change leaders, I think our Achilles heel is that we all take care of everybody else better than ourselves. (laughs) Or if they're you know entrepreneurs who are creating these businesses that do good in the world, we we take care of our business. We're addicted to business and things and the tasks of making the world a better place before ourselves, and it's really hard for us to take care of ourselves. And for me. I've watched three pastors commit suicide. I've seen, I mean, not physically watched them, but you know, read in the news. I've, I've seen, you look at like Eric Garner, who was, you know, shot by police officers. His daughter, Erica, died of a heart attack and asthma at 27 years old. Like our bodies are not made to function under this level of like, you know, stress and resistance and you know, either we ended ourselves, our bodies ended ourselves, or we go into this isolation phase where our definition of we becomes super small, you know, and we're like, you know what, it's not us and humanity anymore. It's me, myself, my kids and my husband. And I don't care what happens to the rest of you because we get burnt out. Right. So I guess, you know, I'm just curious what you would think about from a mental health perspective. Like if we struggle with taking care of ourselves, but we're taking care of everybody else, like what are some practical things we can do to begin to take a, make a shift in that area and really care for ourselves so that we will be here in the long run and the change does sustain itself yeah that's a
1: really good question and i feel like i feel like the true answer is it's going to be different for everybody and yeah. that i would wonder why like i would wonder why it feels easier to take care of others than it does yourself. Cause I would imagine that there could be quite a few different answers to that question. Um, and I think that there is, if you look at why you're a change maker in the first place, mm-hmm. I think might also be instructive. I think mm-hmm. that coming from a place of being able to imagine the world differently than mm-hmm. you see it now I think that's at the root for most people. There's some sense of creativity or wonder or imagination that goes, okay, I I know this is where we are now, but what if it was like this? Like, what if we could make this shift or this change? And I think leading from that place of of imagination and wonder and creativity is different from shoulds, leading from a place of should, supposed to... um, have to. I mean, and I think that I don't want to conflate things here because I think that there is there is a, a necessary uh, justice component in here. Yeah, And I think even from who I know and who I've encountered and read, I think that some of the most successful advocates for justice were also working from this place of imagining a better world and then going out and making it happen. And so I think we all need to reconnect with that. Sometimes that initial sense of imagination or hope or creativity that brought us into this field in the first place Mm -hmm. and remember why we're doing it. Um, I think from a practical standpoint too, you talked about the body and I think it's really important that if we're talking about self-care, we get the whole system involved, right? So it's it's our minds. Like, do we need to go to therapy? Do we need someone to talk some of these things through with? Do I need, do we need to process our feelings? I think for, um, for change makers, for people who have this, I want to give to everybody else. Therapy can be so beneficial because for that one hour, you can't do anything for that person. And if you have a good therapist and you try, they will call you on it. And so, You know, it's like a fourth hour and that may make you really uncomfortable. That was part of my experience of my own therapy was having to say to my therapist one day, I just want to take care of you. And then having to have the conversation of like, well, why? So I think that sometimes that space can be really beneficial
0: yeah.
1: in navigating what's mm-hmm. underneath that need to take care of others, specifically and to neglect taking care of ourselves. Yeah. I think too, like everyone has reacted to this pandemic and all the stress differently. Mm -hmm. And the way I have looked at it has been sort of like, there's different seasons of this pandemic and there has been different responses. So, you know, my initial response was, Oh my gosh, we're not going to make it panic, panic and eat lots of sugar. I mean, it was just lots and lots of that. And I think, my initial response had i been in a, a season like that outside of covid would have been guilt or shame or what are you doing or like get a hold of yourself right but because of the circumstances being able to give some grace and go like we have never done this before yeah. and so like, our body i don't know if you remember this but going into the grocery store the first time and there're not being food on the shelves yeah. or like not the kind of food that you need for your very picky children that will only eat certain brands of certain foods was terrifying. And so if physiological response of going like, oh, calories, I need to eat them because what if they're not there anymore?
0: Right.
1: Um, You know, like I think that that is an understandable adaptive response and- we can't stay there forever. So you get to a point, And for me, it was like, oh my gosh, I need to start taking care of my body because I know I'm living in like an adrenaline nightmare right now. Yeah. And if I let like the cortisol and all of these hormones mm-hmm. have free reign, it's going to have serious consequences, like physical consequences, like you had mentioned. And so I think giving myself the time to eat and the time to lay around and feel somewhat paralyzed is what has allowed me then also to step into like, okay, this is where we are now. How do I take care of myself in this season? Right. And knowing that this season might look different from the last and it might look different from the next as far mm-hmm. as what it is that I need to take good care of myself.
0: Yeah. That's so good. I literally went through phases too. I mean, at first, I think it was like this, and I'm totally, I could be butchering this, but I went through season, I don't remember which was first, but I went through a season of like kind of paralysis, like you talk about, maybe even a little depression. Mm-hmm. Then I went into this phase of like, oh, I've got to accomplish the whole world because I've got all this free time and I have to do all these things. And then this state of like, slow down, you know, like what are, What do you value? And then really like almost like, even a grieving process, like, you know, kind of the the process of grief and of losing someone, you feel this loss of your routine. And then you feel like this shock that it's really gone. And is it really gone? And, you know, all these things. And I think then you put all this, you know, all these other conversations into place, you put, you know, um, injustices, you know, out there, you put, uh, you know, a very strong political scene happening. And, and people aren't, we aren't in a place where we're, probably pretty used to and speaking out of a healthy <laughs> rested place anyways our bodies and minds have been put to the test a lot so um i hear you on that i really like the idea of just seeing a therapist. Um, I love therapists. I always feel like if I could have somebody who has studied the brain just to like sit with me once a week for an hour to like give me their outside insights, outside insights, that's funny, outside insights on my life, like I'll take it, you know, like I will take anything that anybody will give me to make my life better. And considering just even some of those childhood situations that might have led us to this place of caretaking, whether it's codependency, whether it's just even an operating mode of like maybe I'm just a supporter. Maybe I'm a person who's not the lead man, but I'm you know I'm I'm somebody who really loves to support people. But how do I do that in a way that's healthy? Like how do I do that in a way that like I love what you said—just creativity and awe and um, thinking about how the world could be imaginative rather than this place of I should do this and if I don't do this, people need me and what's going to happen without me? I mean, that level of adrenaline is unsustainable, you know, yeah. in the long run for sure. Um, yeah. Do you recommend like any kind of, do you have any favorite resources or books for like, especially for this audience, like for all of us people who are like still hopeful that the world is going to be as great as we imagine it. Like Mm -hmm. what kind of resources are there for people crazy like us?
1: (laughs) (laughs) What's funny is that I just finished grad school. So I haven't gotten to read any books by choice in a long time. Um, I'm just getting back into that. Let me think resources. You know what? Honestly, like then this isn't a resource in your standard way, but I feel like legitimately turning everything off and going outside has been what saves my life on a daily basis. I mean, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I think that it is, um, I think it's helpful just to be able to hear that people have conversations about what you're dealing with. And so there's this sense of, uh, not aloneness, um, Brene Brown came out with a podcast right when COVID hit. And so she's always got good things to say um, that have been helpful, but I feel like honestly, it's been more about quieting down Mm. than about adding more content for me, um, outside of what I'm, what I'm already doing for, for work and for my work with clients.
0: And I think that's so good because, I do think we're on information overload at this point I remember reading a book um, by Brennan Manning years ago and he was talking about this story about this guy who went to visit Mother Teresa's orphanage and he was just like give me some fresh revelation your revelation is that the right word revelation yeah <laughs> revelation I was watching the good the good uh, dinosaur with my kids the other day and there's there's pterodactyls that say. Re- Revelation relevation instead of revelation. Okay. Now I get confused all the time. <laughs> okay. So revelation. So he says to Mother Teresa, give me some fresh revelation. She said, no, you don't need any more fresh revelation. Take what you've already learned and begin to do it. Just live. I mean, like in the concepts that we can live of just like being present, being authentic, being vulnerable, being love, like being these things I think are so healing yeah. Rather than just filling our minds with more, I need a new idea. I need a fresh thought. Like it's almost like a mental addiction we have, like a stimulation. I wonder yeah. if there's even a chemical reaction to like.
1: I, I'm. I think we're desperate for an answer. Like I think we really want an answer or solution. And and I get that way sometimes too. I'll I'll be especially anxious about something, and I will sit and like scroll through my podcast or look through my Kindle library, yeah. but I'm not going to find what I'm looking for in there. Yeah. Like there's not going to be one piece of advice or conversation to listen to or something, they might help me feel less alone. They might give me some good ideas, but it's not going to solve this feeling of powerlessness. It's not going to solve this feeling of the tension of the unknown. But I think looking for those answers inside instead of outside Mm. has been the best. Like for me, I take walks with my daughter and I don't listen to anything and I look around (laughs) and it's, it's nice having a tiny one because you can be like, Oh, look, the leaves are green. Yeah. Look, grass. I mean, it's, you can be a little bit more in awe at what's just there already and appreciate it. I think, knew that despite COVID, despite what's happening to the environment, despite what's happening in politics, all, all this beauty is still here. Like it's still yeah. everywhere. And yeah. so I think that just being able to enjoy what is there, mm. whether that is something outside or whether it's the time you have mm. locked in a house with family members, you know, like there, yeah. there are challenges and there are also, I think, opportunities as far as enjoying the presence of of where we are in this weird yeah. space.
0: Yeah. I know. Yeah. And you just mentioned something that I just kind of wanted to flip on its head, but like um, you talked about, you know, there's no one piece of advice or, you know, whatever it is, wisdom, but I'm curious for you because this is something I ask everybody <laughs> is like, is there a piece of advice in your life or wisdom that someone's given you that's really stuck with you that, you know, I guess, I've heard some people say, like, if you if you could put on a billboard because it was the best piece of advice. Like, what do you have? Something like that? Is there a piece of advice you could share with us? Um, you know, I think. Okay, so I
1: have this one quote on my wall. It's the only quote I have on my wall, and it's from a Rumi poem, and mm-hmm. it's not the whole poem, but it says, "Stay with it. The wound is the place where the light enters you." Mm-hmm. And I think for me, that is kind of the summation of what I have been learning: is that Like suffering and pain for me have always been like you avoid that at all costs. Yeah. Well, I certainly, you know, wouldn't go looking for it. I think that there's something to be said for hey, it's gonna come. It's gonna come. So, to be able to know that where that pain is is also where that opportunity for healing comes. And when healing comes for one thing, it usually comes for more than just that one thing. Mm. So, I think learning how to get more peaceful with the suffering, get more um, comfortable knowing that it is, it's inevitable. Yeah. And that it comes with, with purpose um, or that it can have purpose right on the other side. We can have a meaning making experience on the other side. I think that's been the most important because even in my work as a therapist early on, I would find myself um, trying to help clients avoid their pain, which is really not what you want to do uh, Mm -hmm. as a therapist. And so that was a lot of work with supervisors was going, okay, no, we've got to sit in it. Like I'm really good at listening to a friend and helping them find a way to avoid their pain, but that's not what we do in therapy. Right. And so in this context, the the pain is where you need to sit. That's where Mm -hmm. you need to go. And that's where the healing is going to come. Mm. So I think just learning how to be more comfortable with that and, and more, um, you know, I think for me, the, the wanting to take care of others, I'm an Enneagram nine. I don't know if that means anything to anybody, but, um, (laughs) having other people be in pain, like is the worst thing for me, especially if I feel like I've caused it. Yeah. So even if it's in the therapeutic context, that was really hard for me at first. Mm -hmm. Oh, I asked that question and then they cried. Right. Like they cried because they're experiencing something, right? Something comes on the other side of that. So yeah, just getting comfortable with that, I think is probably the, I'm certainly by no means there, but that's why it's on my wall because I need a constant reminder.
0: You know, and, and that reminds me of something you said earlier, which was basically like, you know, going back and checking your childhood and even spending some time with a therapist and wondering why are you where you're at and not in a way that says, okay, I found out that I am a changemaker because of my abuse from childhood. Yes, that's one piece. Oh, okay, well, then I shouldn't do it. Well, maybe it's the beauty that's come out of it. And you're learning to kind of heal those things and kind of grow from that become you know, walk into a space of becoming more whole. And, you know, that place of trauma almost becomes your platform for change in the world. But if you're doing it before you're, you know, walking back that through that journey, and really discovering where that comes from, um, sometimes you can be in a state of exhaustion, because maybe you're running Mm -hmm. from something, or you're, you know, you have that should mindset or whatever it is. But I love that. That's so true. Let me ask you this before we close, because I know, I could talk to you for like five years. Um, (laughs) If people are listening to this and they're going, you know what? I really see that I could probably use some therapy. Like you said you do teletherapy, right? Is that what's called teletherapy? Like can people reach out to you in a way? Is there a way that they can connect with you to kind of talk through some of these things a little bit more?
1: Yeah. So I, because of the way licensure works in the United States, Therapists can only see clients within the state that they're licensed. And okay. so for me, my supervisor is in Indiana, so I can do teletherapy with, in, with anybody that's in the state of Indiana. So mm-hmm. if you happen to live in Indiana, um, mm-hmm. my website is just com, um,
0: And then if somebody doesn't live in Indiana, but they're like, I don't know where to start. Where do I even find a therapist? What I I had a friend call me the other day and she's like, I really want a therapist. You always talk about therapy. Like, but then she called me she's like, Oh my gosh, I don't know what all these terms are. Like, Mm -hmm. do I do, uh, you know, marriage and family, LMMFT or whatever it is? Do I do like psychotherapy? Do I go to a psychiatrist? Do I go like, what is it that someone would look for if they're a changemaker who's just going, I want to explore where all this comes from and how I can kind of get to a more whole space?
1: Yeah. So I'm going to actually plug a directory because I think it's, it's helpful. Okay. Um, the number one best way to find a therapist is to ask your friends. I mean, really, yeah. if you have someone, if you know someone who has experience with them, that's the way to get the most reliable answer. Yeah. If, you don't, if you don't have that option or you don't have any information from firsthand experience, there's a website called Therapy Den.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: and you can actually go, you could type in your zip code and then it will filter up um, all these different therapists for you, and you can check off like, I want someone who specializes in this concern. I want someone who's competent with this demographic, and it will filter things out for you. And there are a lot of different directories, but I think that's that's one of my favorites. So if you're just needing somewhere to start, that will have people with all different types of licensure, like the different um, names that you were mentioning, which also are lovely, is different in every state. <laughs> and so there is no way to like totally answer what all those acronyms mean, but a place like Therapy Den is going to bring up anyone who treats clients within those things. And you can filter by your insurance. So that's something else people seem to not always know is that a lot of insurance plans, not all, but a lot of them have behavioral health. It's called behavioral health coverage. So look at your plan because you can filter by someone who's in network. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes that can make it really affordable.
0: That's awesome. That's super practical and really helpful. Taylor, thank you for joining us today. It's been so good to see you. I know everybody else doesn't get to see you, but I get to see your beautiful face. Thank you so much. It's been so fun to chat with you. Maybe we'll have you back sometime and another topic to dig (laughs) in.
1: Thank you for having me. It's been fun to see you too.
0: Digging into why we are the way we are and why we want to make positive change in the world, all the way to standing in awe as a form of soul care. There were so many good takeaways from Taylor today. If you loved today, we would love your feedback. Head to iTunes, make sure to give a review, just share a sentence or two and help us get the word out. Let people know that this is a great resource for change makers in the world. Also, head over to Facebook and check out our Practice Good Facebook group, and you can join conversation with other like minded individuals. And if you want to stay connected to us here at Practice Good, you can go to www.practicegoodwithshilo and I can give you not only an ultimate change makers resource list but also you can get signed up to stay connected via email to everything that is going on here at practice good so it is so exciting to have you guys i really enjoyed this i cannot wait to listen to it a second time please make sure to share this podcast with a friend or two and I cannot get wait to hear from you. If you have any ideas for this podcast or you are a changemaker and would love to chat more about what you're doing, feel free to email me at hello at practicegoodwithshiloh.com. That's hello at practicegoodwithshiloh.com. I look forward to chatting with you. Talk to you next week.